for the Stock Car Racing Time Machine podcast. I'm your host, Tim Naiman. Today, you're listening to episode 29, the 1997 running of the Bud at the Glen at Watkins Glen International Road Course in the Finger Lakes region of New York. Before we get to talking about qualifying and the big stories and favorites going into the race, let's talk about some off-the-track news. Everyone always talked about a NASCAR Winston Cup racing silly season. This was the season where drivers began to swap rides, new sponsor combinations occurred, and just a lot of craziness as all kinds of rumors were flying around. Silly season really got kicked off when it was announced that Ernie Irvin would not be back in the number 28 Robert Yates Texaco Haviland Ford before the Loudon race. And then everyone started to take wild guesses about who Robert Yates was going to put in the car. Before the Brickyard 400, Robert Yates announced that Kenny Irwin Jr. from the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series would be his new driver. But he also expressed interest in having Kenny Irwin have the chance to run some races in the 1997 season, but not forfeit his status to be rookie run for rookie of the year in 1998. As a result, before the butt at the Glen, it was announced that Kenny Irwin would drive the number 27 Blair Motorsports car starting at Richmond, and they would attempt approximately five races. And it was likely that Action Performance, a diecast company, would be the sponsor for a couple of the races. Other silly season news was that the Cartoon Network was not going to return to the number 29 car. Remember, very early in the season, Robert Presley was let go, and they had Jeff Green in the car, and he had had some decent runs. But Cartoon Network was not going to be back with the 29. So now everyone began to guess who would get the Cartoon Network sponsorship. In addition, it was announced that Todd Bodine was going to drive for a new team, number 35 with Pontiac, a number 35 Pontiac with Tabasco as the sponsor. In other news, it was announced that Andy Evans had purchased 50% of Brett Bodine's team. And they were hoping that this new partnership would get the team going in the right direction. There were also rumors that close call Brett Bodine's sponsor was not paying their fair share and it might not be long before their decals would be pulled off the race car if they didn't pay what was specified in the contract. Other on-the-track news, it was announced that Dorsey Schrader was going to attempt to qualify the number 90 Heilig Myers Ford, typically driven by Dick Trickle. Trickle had missed a couple races this season, including last week at the Brickyard 400, and it was really important that Junie Donlevy's team get up in the point standings. They hadn't made a final decision if they would run Trickle in the race or if Dorsey Schrader would simply get the car into the race and then Trickle would choose to fall to the back of the pack. Other news was that Bobby Hamilton was may not be back in the number 43 car. Now, Richard Petty was interesting in the fact that he kind of did things old school as an owner. Usually with him, most things were year to year. They just kind of did a handshake. They supposedly, there weren't really firm contracts. And so there was a lot of questions if Hamilton would be back in the 43. And with the announcement that Sterling Marlin was leaving the four car, many were wondering if Hamilton might be a good fit to go drive for the Morgan McClure team. The rumors were heating up that Sterling Marlin was going to head over to the number 40 team with the Coors Light sponsorship and drive for Sabco after having driven for Morgan McClure Racing since the 1994 season. Or at least full-time for Morgan McClure since the 1994 season. This would likely leave Robbie Gordon as the all-odd man out at Sabco because Joe Nemechek and Wally Dollenbach both were going to be back for the 1998 season. Robbie Gordon, despite the struggles in the number 40 car, had 
expressed interest in coming back to drive for NASCAR Cup, and there were some rumors linking him possibly to a third car for Richard Childress Racing. The other big NASCAR news was more sponsorship news. NASCAR announced that Budweiser was now going to be the official beer of NASCAR instead of Bush. Obviously, both are owned by Anheuser-Busch. So the Bush Clash in the 1998 season would be known as the Bud Shootout, and the Pole Award would be known as the Bud Pole Award for the NASCAR Wins the Cup Series. As a fan who was new, I always found it kind of confusing when it was the Bush Pole Award for the NASCAR Cup Series only for the simple reason because you had a Bush series and it seemed kind of confusing and a mouthful on those Friday qualifying days when ESPN would be talking about Bush pole qualifying for the NASCAR Winston cup series. It just seemed kind of into counterintuitive because you had the Bush grand national series, but maybe that was just me being confused. So qualifying for the butt at the Glen took place on Friday and it was an absolute shocker who won the pole. Todd Bodine was driving a one-off, for his Bush car owner, Frank Cece, and the number 34 car with local sponsorship. And he somehow won the pole in just his third start of the 1997 season. Remember, he had filled in for Ricky Craven and actually had run really strong until being in a late race crash at Texas. And then he'd run for his brother, Jeff Bodine, who had had a concussion after a hard crash at Charlotte in practice, but unfortunately blew an engine early in the race. This was his first career pole, and it would give him the opportunity to be in the Bud Shootout next season. And as we talked about just earlier in the podcast, Todd Bodine was likely going to be driving a number 35 car. So to have the chance for the team to start out and be in the Bud Shootout. Dale Jarrett got his best ever road course start, qualifying on the outside pole. Great effort for Dale Earnhardt. He was third quickest. Bill Elliott was fourth quickest. Good qualifying for Wally Dolan back in fifth. Sterling Marlin qualified sixth. Jeff Bonine was seventh quickest, and he was in need of a bounce back. He had missed two of the last four races, failing to qualify for both the Pepsi 400 and the Brickyard 400. In the 1996 season, scored a great victory at Watkins Glen, his hometown track, and he was hoping to have same, the same luck again. He was also making some major t- changes to his own race team that he owned, including likely adding partners and making some changes in personnel. Joe Nemechek qualified eighth quickest. Mark Martin was ninth quickest. Robbie Gordon was the 10th fastest. Jeff Gordon was 11th fastest. Steve Park, making his first career NASCAR Winston Cup start for Dale Earnhardt Incorporated, qualified 12th. He was driving the number 14 Burger King sponsored Chevrolet. Rusty Wallace was 13th quickest. Bobby Labonte qualified 14th quickest. And Ken Trader rounded out the top 15. Other notables included Terry Labonte qualifying 16th. Ernie Irvin was 22nd fastest. Ted Musgrave was 29th fastest. Daryl Waltrip had to settle for the 32nd fastest lap. Lance Hooper was in the number one RNL Carriers Pontiac for Richard Jackson. He qualified 34th. This was just the third career start for Lance Hooper. He had started a race at Phoenix in 1996 and also had started a race in Sonoma in 1997, actually driving for Harry Rainier when that team was still running races with the Hardy sponsorship. He also was the 1996 Winston West champion and had picked up four victories that season. Ricky Craven had to take a provisional and would start 39th. Three cars missed the field. Bobby Hillen failed to qualify in the number 78 car. He really wasn't having much luck getting in races, whether it was for the 77 or the 78, although he had gotten in more races for the 77, but they tended to not run well. Morgan Shepard and Bobby Hillen's all 
old ride failed to qualify too as well. And Dave Marcus missed the race too, meaning that all the cars that missed the race carried numbers in the 70s, 71, 77, and 78. Another of those weird situations in 1997 where NASCAR was choosing to only start 42 cars if there wasn't a past champions provisional. When the discussing favorites for the butt at the Glen, you had to look no further than Mark Martin. Early in the season, he had broke his long NASCAR Cup losing streak with a victory at Sonoma. He'd also won three races at Watkins Glen in a row from 1993 to 1995. That meant that Mark Martin had won four of the last eight NASCAR Cup Series races on road courses. And although he'd like to have a little bit better starting position than ninth, you knew that Martin was a patient and smart driver, and there was a good chance that if the strategy worked out correctly, Martin was going to have a very good chance at victory. During Mark's great winning streak at Watkins Glen, one of the TV announcers once asked him why he was so good on road courses because he didn't really have a lot of road course racing in his background. And Mark jokingly said, you drive as fast as you can and try to stay out of the ditch. When looking at other favorites, you had to take a look at Jeff Bodine. Bodine was the defending champion of this race, and although it had been a terrible season for Jeff Bodine after the first couple of races, including missing last week's Brickyard 400, he had qualified seventh. His team had used great strategy in the 1996 race, and his car seemed to be very good in practice on long runs. Other drivers to look for were your usual road course aces, guys like Rusty Wallace, who had won the 1996 race at Sonoma. Also, you had to look at Terry Labonte, who was always smooth and very good on road courses. Daryl Waltrip had had a top five early in the season at Sonoma on a road course. And I think you also had to look at two drivers who were emerging as better road course racers, Jeff Gordon and Dale Jarrett. Gordon had gotten his best ever finish on a road course, finishing second to Mark Martin in Sonoma in 1997. And he had a great chance to win in 1996, leading the race with less than 15 laps to go when he didn't get his tires cleaned up enough and he ended up falling back to the sixth position at Sears Point. Dale Jarrett had had a great qualifying effort in second, and he felt like he even made some mistakes on his qualifying lap and should have really won the pole. So Jarrett had had a good day out at Sears Point back in May, and he was hoping to capitalize on a strong starting position and have a good day. Dale Earnhardt, of course, had picked up a road course victory back in the 1995 season at Sonoma, and he was still looking to break that long losing streak. And then you have to look at the road court, the drivers who have road course experience. Certainly Wally Dahlenbach would stand out. He was starting fifth. And had there not been a caution come out late in the race in the 1995 butt at the Glen that allowed Mark Martin to catch up and ultimately pass him, Wally Dahlenbach probably would have picked up his first NASCAR Winston Cup victory and taken Bill Davis to victory lane in the number 22 car. Todd Bodine had won the pole. It was kind of a fluke pole, not criticism of Todd Bodine, but really never was known as a great road course driver. Just kind of out of nowhere won the pole. He didn't look exceptionally strong in practice, didn't have an experienced NASCAR Winston Cup pit crew, and this was not likely to be an extremely strong day for Todd Bodine. This edition of the Butt at the Glen would be run on August 10th, 1997, on Sunday afternoon, under cloudy skies in upstate New York. Dale Jarrett and Todd Bodine would lead the field to the green flag after Todd Bodine's surprising pole run. As the green flag came out, Dale Jarrett quickly got a great jump to the outside of Todd Bodine and was easily able to clear him getting into the first turn. Dale Jarrett was able to lead the first lap of the race. 
It was Todd Bodine in second, Bill Elliott third, Dale Earnhardt fourth, and Wally Dahlenbach running fifth. Just one lap into the race, it was reported that Ricky Rudd's car was stuck in low gear. Rudd eventually would have to come to pit road, and the winner of the 1988 and 1990 Bud at the Glen would have to have his car pushed behind pit wall due to a transmission problem. This showed the ups and downs of NASCAR Cup racing. Last week, Rudd was on top of the world, winning the Brickyard 400 as an owner-driver and getting the biggest win of his NASCAR Winston Cup career. And one week later, he had crashed his car in Friday practice, had to go to a backup, and now is having a transmission problem on one of his best tracks. At the start of lap three, Wally Dahlenbach was able to get around Dale Earnhardt, getting into turn one and moving to the fourth position. Jeff Gordon was able to get around Steve Park in turn 10, the left-handed turn, to move up to 10th. And Robbie Gordon, who had started the 10th, was already up to 6th with just four laps completed in the race. Bill Elliott was able to get to the inside of Todd Bodine in the bus stop and move into the second position. And Dale Earnhardt was able to get back around Wally Dahlenbach and move his way back up to 4th with eight laps completed. Then Dale Earnhardt was able to pass Todd Bodine, getting into turn 1, and moved up to the 3rd position on the next lap. It was reported that Chad Little was slow on the racetrack and Brett Bodine had had to come to pit road. Bodine had had a cut tire and needed to get new left side tires. The first caution of the race came out when Chad Little ended up stuck on the racetrack. He ended up experiencing an engine problem and would finish dead last in the field in 42nd position. The first caution of the race came out on lap 11. When the race restarted on lap 13, it would be Dale Jarrett in the lead, Bill Elliott in second, Dale Earnhardt was third, Todd Bodine was fourth, and Robbie Gordon was running in the fifth position. Only cars toward the back of the lead lap chose the pit under this yellow flag. Robbie Gordon quickly moved to get around Todd Bodine and move up to the fourth position, but this bold move was illegal. Robbie Gordon had jumped the start and now was going to have to come to pit road to get a stop and go penalty. Interestingly enough, when Robbie Gordon decided to come to pit road to get a to heed the black flag and do his stop and go, the team did not decide to change tires or fuel, which was interesting. So the mistake that Gordon had made was they were running on the road course at Watkins Glen. And of course, Watkins Glen is the only NASCAR Winston Cup race where they race in a clockwise fashion. That means that you have to pass to the left before you get back to the start finish line when the green flag came out. And Robbie Gordon had clearly completed the pass on Todd Bodine before the field had reached the start finish line. Jeff Gordon was continuing to move his way up through the field. He moved into the sixth position after he was able to get around Sterling Marlin again in that left-hand turn, turn 10, which had been a sweet spot for Jeff Gordon very early in the race. Joe Nemechek and Wally Dahlenbach both were able to get around Dale Earnhardt and move into the third and fourth position. Bill Elliott, meanwhile, was trying to get the lead from Dale Jarrett, and he looked to get to the inside of Dale Jarrett getting into the bus stop and was able to do that, and Bill Elliott grabbed the lead. Ward Burton had gotten off course in turn seven, and then Joe Nemechek was able to pass Dale Jarrett on the next lap, entering turn one and moving to the runner-up position. They quickly panned the Rick Mass, and we saw that there was major damage to the left front and hood of Rick Mass's car. And Ward Burton, after his spin, was unable to get his car restarted, and he stalled on the track. So the second caution of the race came out on lap 17. Again, most of the leaders chose not to pit, but Mark Martin surprisingly did pit under the yellow flag. 
It was reported that Ward Burton had blown an engine and he would finish in the 40th first position. Before they restart on lap 19, let's take a look at the running order. Bill Elliott was the leader. Joe Nemechek was having a great day in second. Dale Jarrett was third. Wally Dallenbach was in fourth. Dale Earnhardt was running fifth. Jeff Gordon was sixth. Sterling Marlin was seventh. Jeff Bodine was running eighth. Rusty Wallace was up to the ninth position. And Steve Park, in his first career NASCAR Winston Cup start, was in tenth. After the green flag came back out, very quickly, Joe Nemechek decided that he wanted to take the lead from Bill Elliott, and he was able to grab the lead in the bus stop. Jeff Gordon was able to get around Dale Earnhardt in turn one on the 20th lap. This moved Jeff Gordon in the fifth position. As they came off of turn one, it was apparent that Dale Earnhardt's car wasn't handling perfect as he got extremely loose. Jeff Gordon continued his charge up through the field, getting around Wally Dolan back for fourth. It was reported that Hutch Strickland was in the pits, possibly with an oil leak, and he would struggle with problems all day and eventually finish in the 35th position. Gordon continued his march up through the field as he grabbed the third position from Dale Jarrett, making the pass in that hard left-hand turn, turn 10, which had looked to be Gordon's sweet spot. He made many passes there throughout the race. Joe Nemechek was having a great day so far. With 24 laps complete in the race, he had a two-and-a-half second lead on Bill Elliott. The next lap, Jeff Gordon was able to get around Bill Elliott and move his way into the second position. We also saw some drivers begin to go and have complete their first green flag pit stops of the race. Jeff Bodine, who had used excellent strategy to win the 96 race at the Glen, had decided to pit for the first time on lap 25. The third cost of the race would come out on lap 28 when Jeff Burton and Lance Hooper got together entering turn one. Unfortunately for Jeff Burton, his car got stuck in the so-called kitty litter, the dug-in dirt that they had put so cars would not slam into the wall because they were carrying so much speed at Watkins Glen in turn one. Unfortunately for Jeff Burton, with his car stuck, by the time the record got there and got Burton out of the kitty litter, he was a lap down, and Jeff Burton would ultimately finish 20 and 29th position one lap down. As they watched the replay, it was clear that Lance Hooper lost it Getting into turn one, his back end swung around, and Jeff Burton was the victim of circumstance to the outside of Hooper and got forced down into the dirt. Yellow flag pit stops would occur, and most of the leaders would come to pit road. But the TV announcers were surprised that Mark Martin, who had pitted under that second caution, again had come back to pit road. Joe Nemechek was able to win the race off of pit road. The running order was now a bit muddled after the leaders had completed pit stops under the yellow flag. Johnny Benson had grabbed the lead on lap 29, and Benson had pitted under the previous caution on lap 17. The same went for Cal Petty in second, Kenny Wallace in third, and David Green in fourth. Jeff Bodine and Bobby Labonte ran in the fifth and sixth position, and these two drivers had made green flag pit stops just before the caution had came out, and of course, they stayed on the lead lap because it takes a long time to complete a lap on a road course, and that allowed them to get out in front of all the other drivers when those drivers pitted under the yellow flag. We've talked about this a bit before on the podcast. On a road course, you always want to make your pit stop, and then you hope that that caution comes out the next lap or the lap after that. Because as long as you don't get lapped, you're going to eventually be the leader when everyone pits under the caution flag. Ted Musgrave was running seventh. Joe Nemechek was eighth. Rusty Wallace was in ninth. Dale Jarrett was in tenth. And Jeff Gordon was back in the 11th position. Jeff Bodine was able to quickly grab the fourth position from David Green getting into turn one. 
It was announced that Dale Earnhardt was going to have to serve a stop-and-go penalty as the green flag came out due to a pit violation. It didn't take long for Dale for David Green to fade through the field. He was out of the top 10 after just one lap was completed when the race restarted on lap 30. It was bad luck for Joe Nemechek. He was trying to get inside of Bobby Labonte getting into the bus stop when he unfortunately spun and locked up the brakes. Fortunately, he didn't have significant damage, and he also did not get caught in the kitty litter, so he was able to continue on. Jeff Gordon continued to make passes in his sweet spot, turn 10, this time getting around Dale Jarrett and moving in the seventh position. And then getting into turn one in the next lap, Jarrett's Yates teammate Ernie Irvin passed him for the eighth position. Jeff Bodine was able to get to the inside of Johnny Benson, but wasn't able to quite complete the pass. But Bodine was able to finally grab the lead on lap 35 while the T race was on commercial. He did it under braking in turn one. Both Rusty Wallace and Jeff Gordon were able to get around Ted Musgrave and move into the fourth and fifth position respectively on lap 36. Jeff Bodine, after grabbing the lead from Johnny Benson, was pulling away. He now had a three-second lead. With 40 laps complete in the race, Jeff Bodine was the leader. Johnny Benson was running second. Kenny Wallace was in third. His brother Rusty Wallace was fourth. Jeff Gordon was fifth. Teammates Ernie Irvin and Dale Jarrett were running sixth and seventh. Ted Musgrave was in eighth. Bill Ely was in ninth, and it was an impressive drive up through the field for Terry Labonte, who now ran in a 10th position. Rusty and Jeff Gordon were both able to pass by Kenny Wallace on the next lap in turn one to move into the third and fourth position. Then, Rusty and Jeff passed Johnny Benson on the next lap entering turn one, and they had now moved up to second and third with Benson running fourth. Jeff Gordon was able to get to the inside of Rusty Wallace entering turn 11, and was able to make the pass getting into turn one. This moved Jeff Gordon up to the second position. Robbie Gordon was bouncing back after that early race penalty for jumping the restart had sent him all the way to the back of the lead lap. He had already worked his way back up to the 11th position, and he moved into the 10th position when he was able to pass Kenny Wallace. Johnny Benson all of a sudden started to fade back through the field, and Jeff Gordon and Rusty Wallace were both closing in quickly on Jeff Bodine. Mark Martin was able to work his way back into the top 10 as he passed his teammate Jeff Burton in turn one. But Ken Schrader unfortunately got into the corner too hot and spun his car out because he didn't want to take someone else out. Now one interesting note on Mark Martin. He had pinned under that caution on lap 17 and a lot of people thought that he would just try to stay out and make it on, you know, two more stops after that but he interestingly decided to pit with the leaders. And this seemed to be a bit of a strategic mistake for Mark Martin's team. If you were just going to go ahead and pit around lap 30 and a lap around lap 60, then you shouldn't have pitted under the first caution. You should have just waited things out and then pitted under the next caution. So it seemed like Martin, they maybe thought they were going to outsmart people with that second pit stop, but it really didn't work out to benefit him. And it kind of put Mark Martin behind the eight ball the whole race in terms of track position. With 50 laps completed in a 90-lap race, Jeff Bodine was the leader. Jeff Gordon was running second. Rusty Wallace was third. Dale Jarrett was fourth. Ted Musgrave made it four forwards in the top five, running fifth. Ernie Irvin was sixth. Bill Elliott was in seventh. Terry Labonte was running eighth. Robbie Gordon, after that early race penalty, had worked his way up to the ninth position. And Mark Martin was tenth. Jeff Bodine was leading Jeff Gordon by about one and a half seconds. After ESPN came back from commercial, they had shown that Jeff Gordon had taken the lead from Jeff Bodine. 
He had used the sweet spot again, the left-hander in turn 11, and had taken the lead on lap 53. This had broken a string of 18 consecutive laps led by Jeff Bodine. Johnny Benson reported that he was out of gas and he was trying to slowly creep his way to pit road. Green flag pit stops began and Jeff Bodine was the first to pit. It was an average pit stop. It took his crew about 21 and a half seconds to fill the car up and put four tires on. Bodine, of course, was hoping that he would be able to play the similar strategy they played in the 1996 race, which was to pit and then have the caution come out. Ray Evernham didn't want to leave Jeff Gordon out there too long and didn't want to have that happen where Gordon would be caught out on the track when the caution came out, what you don't want on a road course. So Jeff Gordon pitted on lap 56. This gave Rusty Wallace the opportunity to lead lap 57 and 58 before he pitted, and Mark Martin pitted on the same lap too as well. Jeff Gordon's teammate Terry LeBonnet led lap 59 before he pitted. It was reported that Dale Jarrett had lost a piece of his tailpipe on the racetrack, but they didn't think that it was affecting the performance of the car. Brett Bodine was out of the race due to rear-end problem, and he finished 39th. Daryl Waltrip was able to lead lap 60 through 62, but this would end up being bad luck for Daryl Waltrip because Steve Park, making his first ever NASCAR Winston Cup start, got too hard into the inner loop, spun his car around, and his car got stuck in the kitty litter in the inner loop. This would bring out a four-course caution, the fourth of the race on lap 62 and DW was now going to be forced to pin under the yellow flag, and he was going to be behind all the cars that were still on the lead lap. We talked about this earlier in the podcast. The strategy on a road course is you want to make your green flag pit stop, stay on the lead lap, and have the caution immediately come out. Darrell Waltrip had the worst-case scenario. Pretty much all the leaders had made their pit stops except him, and now he would get fresh tires but be behind all those drivers and only have a few laps extra of fresh rubber. So the race would restart on lap 65, and Jeff Gordon was the leader, Rusty Wallace was in second, Jeff Bodine was third, Dale Jarrett was fourth, Ted Musgrave was in fifth, Robbie Gordon was sixth, Terry Labonte was seventh, Mark Martin was eighth, Bill Elliott was in the ninth position, and Ernie Irvin was running tenth. On the restart, Jeff Gordon was trying to get a slow restart, and Rusty Wallace tried to jump to the outside of Jeff Gordon, which is legal. You're allowed to pass to the left on a restart on a road course at Watkins Glen. But unfortunately, he had to check up, and he hit the rumble strip as the cars came out of turn 11. This allowed Jeff Bodine to eventually get to the inside of him legally past the start-finish line, and Jeff Bodine was able to move into the second position. Bill Elliott was able to pass Terry Labonte on the first lap of the restart and move into the eighth position in the interloop. There were still 34 cars running on the lead lap, and this was very significant because if you had a problem or slipped off the track, you were going to go all the way to the back of the pack. It was bad luck for Bobby Labonte. He had a transmission problem and ended up finishing 37th. His car very slowly had to creep around pretty much from turn eight all the way to the front stretch. It didn't even look like his car was going to make it to pit road. It looked like we might get another caution as the car crawled slowly, but it did eventually make it to pit road. It was also bad luck for Ernie Irvin. He had a flat right front tire, was forced to the pits, and he would end up finishing in the 21st position. Jimmy Spencer began smoking. He was having an alternator problem with his race car, and he would eventually finish 34th two laps down. Dorsey Schrader was driving for Dick Trickle. They had decided to let him run the race instead of Dick, and he spun out getting into turn one and got his car stuck in the kitty litter. They eventually fished his car out of the kitty litter, but he would end up finishing in the 31st position. 
Dorsey's spin brought out the fifth caution of the race. This would be the final caution on lap 73. Ricky Rudd decided to park his car because it was, he was unable to pick up any more positions and he would be credited with a 40th place finish. Dale Jarrett was reporting that his car was now down on power and he was concerned about the water and oil temperature increasing. The final restart of the race would happen on lap 75 with 16 laps to go. Let's reset the running order. Jeff Gordon was the leader. Jeff Bodine was running second. Rusty Wallace was in third. Dale Jarrett was fourth. Ted Musgrave was fifth. Robbie Gordon was sixth. Mark Martin was seventh. Bill Elliott was eighth. Joe Nemechek was running ninth. And Terry Labonte was in the 10th position. Gordon got a great restart and had a big lead getting into turn one. It was reported on the ESPN broadcast by Bill Weber, one of the pit reporters, that Jeff Bodine was furious about Jeff Gordon's restart, saying that the race was supposed to restart underneath the crossover bridge that allows pedestrians to get from the spectator side over to the pits. And Gordon had definitely gotten a slow restart and then gassed it up, and Bodine seemed like he wasn't quite ready. So with Gordon leading, though, on this very first lap after the restart, he smoked his tires significantly getting into turn 10, which had been his smart part, which had been, excuse me, his sweet spot in the left-hander. This allowed Bodine to close very tightly in on Jeff Gordon. With 12 laps to go in the race, Bodine was just a few car lengths behind Jeff Gordon. It was a great day for Ted Musgrave. He moved in the fourth position, passing Dale Jarrett in turn one. ESPN went to commercial, and when they came back from commercial, Dale Jarrett had also been passed by Mark Martin and Robbie Gordon. Gordon was starting to get a little bit of a bigger cushion over Jeff Bodine, the other Gordon, Jeff Gordon, that is, and he now had a three-quarters of a second lead. Joe Nemechek and now Terry Labonte both passed Dale Jarrett. It was clear his car was not running up to snuff. They moved up to the eighth and ninth position, and Dale Jarrett reported that he had now lost third gear. With eight laps to go, the top five was Jeff Gordon in the lead, Jeff Bodine in second, Rusty Wallace in third, Ted Musgrave in fourth, and Robbie Gordon was running fifth. Gordon had now extended his lead to one and three quarters of a second over Jeff Bodine. And give a call to Steve Grissom, not known as a great road racer, he had worked his way into the top 10. Dale Jarrett had fallen back to the 14th position when a significant moment in the points championship happened. There was concern from NASCAR officials that Dale Jarrett was leaking fluid and they black flagged Dale Jarrett. Jarrett's crew protested with NASCAR to the point that Jarrett did not pit the first two times that he received the black flag. After you don't pit a few times after receiving the black flag, NASCAR will just simply pull your scoring card and stop scoring you. Meanwhile, Robbie Gordon was continuing his charge up through the field. He took the fourth position from Ted Musgrave with six laps to go. With four laps to go, third place Rusty Wallace was closing in tight on Jeff Bodine. Finally, knowing he had no choice, Dale Jarrett heated the black flag and came the pit road. The NASCAR official looked under the car and sent Dale Jarrett right back out. And this made the Jarrett crew even more furious as now he would be all the way back to the end of the lead lap. Mark Martin was able to pass his Roush teammate Ted Musgrave for fifth in turn one with two laps to go in the race. And unfortunately, Joe Nemechek, who was having a great day, got into turn one too hot. He got off course, but he kept the car rolling through the kitty litter was had enough momentum to get back out of there, out of the sand trap, and although he fell out of the top 10, he was able to continue on. The white flag came out, and Jeff Gordon had a one-and-a-half-second lead over Jeff Bodine. He was able to ease it into turn one, work his way up the S's, have no issue in the inner loop, 
get through turn nine, and all he had left was the left-hander where he'd been so good in turn 10, and then the final right-hander in turn 11, and he would come back onto the front straightaway and pick up his first career road course victory. And Gordon was easily able to beat Jeff Bodine back to the start-finish line, and Gordon won the butt at the Glen, picking up his eighth NASCAR Winston Cup win of the season, the 27th victory of his career, and his first ever win on a NASCAR road course. So Gordon had completed the cycle. He had won on a super speedway track, a track of one mile or longer. He had won on a short track, a track in less than one mile, and he had now won on a road course. And you could also throw in that he had won multiple restrictor plate races too as well. The race at Watkins Glen took just under two hours and 25 minutes to complete. Average speed was 91.294 miles an hour. The race was slowed five times with cautions for 11 laps, and there were 10 lead changes. Jeff Gordon's margin of victory was 1.35 seconds over second place Jeff Bodine, and he led 32 laps, the most laps, on route to victory. As we stated earlier, Jeff Bodine was the second finisher, and this tied the best finish of the season for him. He was second back at Richmond early in the season, the third race of the NASCAR Winston Cup season. Jeff Bodine at his home track had led 18 laps. Rusty Wallace came home third, leading two laps. This was the best finish for Rusty since he was second at the Coca-Cola 600 Memorial Day weekend. It was the best career finish for Robbie Gordon. He finished fourth, and he was also the best finishing rookie. And this was an unbelievable finish for Robbie Gordon because he had to overcome an early race black flag due, due to jumping a restart. And you have to wonder if Robbie Gordon had not been black flagged, if he would have been up at the front battling Jeff Gordon for the victory. Mark Martin picked another, picked up another top five coming home fifth, but it had to be a little bit disappointing for Mark Martin. His pitch strategy was a little bit head-scratching to me in this race. He had decided to pin under that second caution around lap 15 or 16. But when a caution came out about 12 laps later, around lap 27, for Ward Burton's issues, Martin pitted again. It didn't make much sense. If he was going to do it on two stops after his first pit stop, I don't really understand why he chose to come back in with the leaders under the next caution. He could have stayed out, built up a big lead under the green flag, and then come in and pitted, and he would have been in a similar situation like the leader still needing one more pit stop. Ted Musgrave had a great day. He started 29th and came up all the way to finish 6th. Bill Elliott, another solid day for him, finishing 7th. Terry Labonte led one lap and finished 8th. Great day for Steve Grissom. He started 33rd, not known as a road coursing ace, and came up all the way to finish in the ninth position. Wally Dollenbach finished 10th, one of the best runs of the season for him. Johnny Benson led 6 laps and finished 11th. Joe Nemechek had a solid day. He led 10 laps and finished 12th. And had he not had that late race problem and the next to the last lap, when he got into turn one too hot and had to drive through the kitty litter, he likely would have scored a top 10 finish. Sterling Marlin finished 13th. Ken Schrader overcame a mid-race spin in turn one to finish 14th. And Jeremy Mayfield came home in the 15th position. Other notable finishers included Dale Earnhardt, who was penalized and had to have a stop-and-go penalty. He finished 16th. Daryl Waltrip, despite pitch strategy not working out for him and getting caught on the racetrack before making his last pit stop finished 18th the best finishing rookie was mike skinner in 19th jeff burden who had problems on the track came home 29th dale jarrett came, fell all the way to 32nd position and we talked about this earlier but todd parrott and the whole 88 crew were absolutely furious with nascar how this played out we had talked about 
that Dale Jarrett was having a problem with the car. He was having a transmission issue. His car was fading back to the field. He was running about 14th with about six laps to go and starting to show some smoke. And because he was showing smoke, NASCAR was reported that they felt that Dale Jarrett was putting fluid down on the racetrack. So they put the black flag out for Dale Jarrett. He didn't heat it at least two times. I can't remember exactly what the rule was at that time in NASCAR Winston Cup racing. If you didn't heed the black flag when they would pull your scorecard. But I think he eventually came in in the third time after not accepting the black flag. When he came in the pits, the NASCAR official looked under the car, saw no fluid and sent Jarrett back out. So this definitely was very costly to Dale Jarrett in the point standings. He was running 14th. His car was fading. So let's say that he finished in the 20th position and set a 32nd. Well, that's 12 positions. And at that time in NASCAR Winston Cup racing, each of those positions would have been worth three points. So this probably cost Dale Jarrett at least 36 points. And, you know, if he could have maintained his current position, may have cost him upwards of close to, you know, 50 points. Steve Park came home 33rd in his first career start at NASCAR Winston Cup Racing. He was having a really solid day running among the top 15 when he had that spin and got stuck in the kitty litter. Todd Bodine, the pole sitter, had a tough day. He finished 35th. Also, a couple guys who were high in the points, Bobby Labonte finished 37th, and Ricky Rudd came home in the 40th position. So when we take a look at the point standings, obviously Jeff Gordon won the race, so he's going to gain on everyone. So Gordon extended his points lead to triple digits. He now had a 109-point lead on second place Mark Martin, who lost 30 points to Jeff Gordon with his fifth-place finish. Dale Jarrett had a disastrous day. After gaining some points on Jeff Gordon at Pocono and the Brickyard 400, he now lost 113 points due to his late race problems, and he was now 260 points behind Jeff Gordon, third in points. Terry Labonte was fourth in points, 269 points behind Gordon, but just nine points behind Jarrett for third in points. It was a tough day for Jeff Burton. He dropped now 352 points behind Jeff Gordon. Earnhardt was sixth in points, now 413 points back, and any hopes at a rally for an eighth NASCAR Winston Cup championship were essentially over. After Earnhardt had had a resurgence, with that great run at Daytona and that second-place finish at Loudoun, he had failed to make the top 10 in three straight races at Pocono, the Brickyard, and Watkins Glen. Bobby Labonte, despite his problems, remained seventh in points. Jeremy Mayfield continued his climb in points up to eighth. Ricky Rudd's problems relegated him back to ninth in points, and Bill Elliott hung in the 10th position in points. Ted Musgrave and Johnny Benson were now 11th and 12th, respectively, in points. So when you look at these point standings, Mark Martin currently was the only driver who was within a one race swing of the points lead, meaning that if Jeff Gordon finished last and Mark Martin led the most laps, he would become the points leader. And actually right now it was about a 33 position swing somewhere in that neighborhood that Martin would need to win and Gordon would have to finish for Martin to be able to take over the points lead. For Dale Jarrett, it had to be concerning. 260 points was a lot to make up. He was well outside that one race swing. And for Terry Labonte, it was a decent day, but the summer had not been kind to him. The wreck at Michigan, the problems at Pocono, the engine problem at the Brickyard. And we talked about this in an earlier podcast. Terry just wasn't quite getting those really 
good top five finishes that he got in 1996, where he'd finish second or third or fourth. He was getting a lot of seventh through ninth place finishes, and that does have an impact on the points, especially when you're not winning races and leading as many laps. Jeff Burden, who after his victory at Loudoun, his second race of the season, we were talking about still was kind of a dark horse in the points race, followed that up with a couple of disappointing days back-to-back at the Brickyard and at Watkins Glen. And his points, his hopes to win the NASCAR Winston Cup Championship were essentially over. But Burton had to be very proud to be in the top five in points and have two victories at this point in time. So as we take a look back at the but at the Glen, certainly a great moment for Jeff Gordon. He never won on a road course, so it had to be a good feeling to go to victory lane on a road course. Mark Martin had another solid day. He was doing what he needed to do, keep clicking off top fives and hoping that Jeff Gordon would run into trouble. Dale Jarrett, very disappointing day. Had a great car, had a great chance to get a top five finish. Started to experience those problems. Was still going to probably get at least a top 20 finish. And then being black flag just resulted in absolutely disastrous day for him. Good bounce back efforts for a couple drivers having tough seasons. Obviously, Jeff Bodine getting a second after missing the Brickyard 400. Had to be a big lift for his team. He was also announcing a new partner to be a part owner with him. So that was exciting. Rusty Wallace had had just a disastrous summer, so it had to be a good feeling for him to finish third. And Robbie Gordon went out and showed people what his skill was. Certainly a good road racer, but he came home fourth, and he was trying to shop himself for the next season. So thanks for joining me and listening to today's episode on the Stock Car Racing Time Machine podcast. I'm Tim Naiman. When we talk next week, we'll take a look back at the, the DeVilbis 400 from Brooklyn, Michigan. Thanks for listening.